Hello and welcome to the very latest edition of The Atmosphere is Electric on what's been a crazy busy week. Uh, Fran, how are you, buddy? Very well, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago I feel like we moaned about not enough football. I'm, I'm possibly moaning about too much football this week. It's been hard to keep up with all, isn't it? Mm, yeah, we were intended to do a midweek pod. We just didn't have time, did we? Do you know what? This, this is a really petty uh, problem, but when, when it's on Prime, which is great in many ways, and I think that they do some really good stuff on different commentators and different stats and stuff. But if you've got notifications for Premier League, League teams, they come through on your phone and your watch first. So it's almost like not worth watching it because every goal where I'm like, oh, there's a goal about to come and everyone's looking, how the hell do you know that? But mm. of course it comes through on your on your device first. Mm. I, on a separate note, I do think it's quite good to have that... Um... So it's just a bit of variation, isn't it, on the broadcasters? And I do think they actually do a pretty decent job. And you get to see, every, you get the option of seeing every game as well. So I do think it's quite a good addition to the broadcasting. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it at all, other than, like I say, sitting there watching. It doesn't matter what game I was watching, I was getting notified. Uh, if that's even a word, notified. If it's not, it should be. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Go I for like it, it. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can make that stick. I'm going to turn my notifications on. <laughs> no, that, that is actually the right word. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Look, I'm going to start somewhere, uh, uh, obviously, with just for those of you that, that don't know, that no preparation goes into this whatsoever, uh, other than the fact that obviously there's football that happens and we don't talk about it. So Fran has no idea uh, where I'm going with this. And, and so it kind of started thinking, obviously, Terry Venables, uh, you know, passing was, was obviously very sad. And, and it reminded me of uh, that England game against Holland in 96, obviously, which was kind of, in many ways, ruined international football for me forevermore, because I think that's how English should always play. However, they rarely do. Uh, and, and, I, and I saw something this weekend of one of the team sheets that he was in as a young man. And it was essentially a 2-3-5 formation. You know, so, mm-hmm. you, so you know now, like if you're watching Sky or any of them, they'll, they'll go 4-3-3 three, three or 4-5-1, however it is. But, but the, the, the actual shape was 2-3-5. And when you think now that Man City, Arsenal, Spurs, all these teams build up in 2-3-5, actually we've gone way back to sort of the 50s and 60s in our footballing style. Mm. I watched a documentary on it about how they create the triangles now and it is like a 5v5 isn't it and they create the triangles and, and it did literally what they were trying to say was this was a tactic that was around years ago and it just seems to have been revived because you get your overloads in midfield and stuff yeah I saw the same thing and so then I got to thinking well it feels to me like there's lots of goals flying around at the moment and actually maybe is this because we've got brilliant attacking players or is it because we've just become really bad at defending and then I thought what's the what's the highest scoring sort of per game goals per game season where do you think and this goes back before Premier League this goes back for any top division football you know going way back to when you know there was only uh, 132 games played in the 1888 season so I'm going all the way back there where do you think this season currently ranks in terms of goals per game What as in is in in the like it's been in the top ten highest or something like that or how many goals is a percentage yeah, of, of of all time of all time no no as in top top ten or top top thirty or top hundred of all time I, seasons going back to eighteen eighty eight. Yeah, I reckon it would probably rank up there. Just on, I mean, I, I've been noticing the same, and I've started having bets on teams to win and over two and a half goals in the game because it just seems that every every game is either both teams to score or. Always have goals flying in. So I would say it would be up there. Bound to be proven wrong, though. No, no, no. So, again, it, it might not sound impressive, but it's it's actually 39th 
out of 125 seasons. And it's the first time a 2,000-year mm. uh, appears in the list. So it's the highest goals per mm. game uh, season of the, of the century. And we're averaging over 3.1 goals per game. Because mm. I, I did notice, I heard about a stat and they were comparing it to other European leagues. And I think the French league is averaging something like 0.96 goals a game, which is just horrendous to watch, isn't it? Whereas, like you said, the Premier League is just guaranteeing you goals at the minute. So there's been uh, 150 games, uh, according to, to, to this document I've got in front of me. I'm not entirely sure. That. I think it's, uh, I can tell you actually, so 150 games. How many nil-nils do you think there's been? One? Three. Hmm. I can't remember too many, yeah. Three nil-nils. Now, my question, and this is a long way of, this is the longest question in history, uh, so it would be no good for television, but what do, you, what, what do you put that down to? Because, you know, other than take Haaland out of the mix, I'm, I'm not talk, I don't think we're talking about generational centre-forward play, I don't think we're talking about amazing midfield play. Is, is it that we are now just so good at passing and moving the ball that it's creating chances and defenders can't defend? Or is it that actually defending as a skill has gone out the window and we're just like, you know what, let's just score more than the other team? I do feel that defending as a skill has, has changed over the years, but I also do believe it's down to the, um, down to the, you know, the rule changes. So, you know, 20 years ago, a tackle, a proper tackle was allowed. Now you touch somebody um, and you can get booked. I mean, there was a tackle in the West Ham uh, Spurs game yesterday where I think there was a slight, one of the West Ham players literally touched somebody and they got booked for it. And Alan Shearer made a comment to say back in the day, that wasn't, wouldn't even be a foul. And it's, I think it's exactly right. So I do feel that that is the biggest contributor to that because if you can't now, you know, defend how they used to, you know, the, the old, old Italians back in the day, they were strong, they were tough. Like if you ran by you, they made sure they didn't get by you. You do that now, you could be looking at a red card. So I think that the rule changes and making it less of a contact sport has, has been the biggest contributor to that. And again, I guess we have to throw in the mix the the new way of timekeeping as well, right? Because obviously, you know, it seems to me that more and more games, you know, you go look at Arsenal, Luton, or sorry, Luton, Arsenal, if you want to be technically correct, you know, it feels like there's more and more games being decided after the 94th, 95th minute, which obviously in old money, you know, if you've got five minutes of injury time at the end of the game, it was quite, un quite unusual. But now it's part of the course, isn't it? Mm, yeah, if you get five minutes... <laughs> 10 years ago, you'd be thinking that was a lot of amount. If you get five minutes now, you're probably a bit gutted, aren't you, if you're losing the game? You'd be expecting at least eight or nine. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose the, the, the other point as well is actually uh, whether these, and I know we keep banging on about injuries, but whether there's a lot of teams missing a lot of players and whether actually if we had, you know, the best 11 on the pitch as often as we would like, actually there might be less goals because actually a lot of these are defenders and goalkeepers, obviously Nick Pope this week out for four months, which is obviously devastating for Newcastle based on all the injuries they've already got. You know, actually, you know, do they mm. lose 3-0 to Everton if Nick Pope's in goal? It's definitely a contributing factor, isn't it? Yeah, if you've got your strongest uh, 11 on the pitch, you're probably not going to concede as many goals and you might say, you could flip it the other way around and say, would they be scoring more goals as well? Possibly, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, more than 3.1 a game, I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, if, if goals, 
equals entertainment, and I'm not sure it does, by the way, but that's certainly the perception. Uh, then obviously the Premier League is off to a great start. I, I do worry that actually we've all been bullied into believing that there's one type of football and we've all got to play this type of football and actually it does leave you very open and exposed if you get it wrong, doesn't it? So obviously this week, uh, talking of goals and, and all the excitement flying around, I think it's probably only one place to probably start. And, and, and for me, it's a question. It's a, it's a double-ended question. But we'll start with Luton versus Arsenal. Uh, you know, how unlucky were Luton not to at least pick up a point again at home? And, and you know, what a job Rob Edwards is doing with his team to, to make Luton a real force at home. Mm, I thought they were really unlucky. However, the foul that I think the right-back made in the 96th minute or whatever it was, that's not unlucky, that's stupidity. He just went and volleyed him. And then they've obviously whipped the ball in the box and it gave him the opportunity. So from that perspective, they weren't unlucky. They actually, in my opinion, thought they deserved to lose after being stupid like that. But the general you know, consensus of the game, I thought they were really unlucky. I thought they played really well. Um, he made numerous changes to the 11, didn't he? Which you know were specifically designed to... to for the, the team that they were playing against, Arsenal. Um, so it wasn't like he's just completely changed the team to freshen it up. He actually made those tactically. Um, and I thought they showed real fitness and legs and heart and one all over the pitch. And um, one person who stood out for me was Ross Barkley. I thought he was superb. Yeah, it's funny. I think Ross Barkley and Andros Townsend actually have both made a real difference. Or they seem to have from the outside made a real difference both in terms of a little bit of quality on the ball, but also that kind of, uh, you know, old head on shoulders. They seem to have just added a bit of leadership, don't they? It feels like Luton are a transformed team. And also, that international break seems to have helped them as well. That Those two things combined, you know, Ross Barkley understands and that international break seems to have really given Luton the kind of focus and the ability to kind of go and be adaptable and have different styles to play against mm. different people. I think what, what they've identified there is, you know, we've said it in previous weeks, is is that their style is possibly suited to the Premier League. So making little tweaks here and there, but keeping the same style, you know, physical... You know, good fitness, you know, defending as a team, getting up and down the pitch. I think it does suit the Premier League. You know, a lot of a lot of the way football's moving now is around the physicality, and they've got a team, and their style definitely suits that. Uh, and th- th- this is a question that we can aim at a couple of teams in the last seven days. Uh, but for Arsenal, do, are, are you sitting on a side that you know, ninety seven, ninety eight minute winner shows that they've got the, the minerals to go on and win the league? Or are you on the side saying mm. you can see the three goals against Luton and you were lucky to get away with it? And actually, it shows cracks in your team. What side are you sitting on? Because really, it seems pretty split out there on social media, at least. I, so I would, this is going to sound a strange answer. I would sit on both sides of that fence because obviously winning the game is a really important thing. But when you look at the teams around you dropping points, it makes that even more crucial. However, you have to look at it as a negative to say you've conceded three against Luton. And actually, the general performance, I thought Arsenal were pretty flat again. Like, you know, where they've gone, you know, in Europe, went and tanked, was it Lance 5 or 6 nil, whatever it was. You, everyone was going, oh, well, we look like we're back. But then to produce that performance against Luton, it doesn't show me that they're still at their best. However, winning the game and other teams dropping points around you was so crucial. So... I mean, if I was to plump for one of the sides, I'd still be concerned, if I'm being honest, because I don't think you can keep performing like that throughout the season and win a title. Yeah, like, like you said, the, the, the trouble with this kind of win a game when other people are losing is, is kind of half a story, isn't it? Because actually, you've got to play everybody twice. You know, So, for example, Man City losing against Aston Villa away, 
I realised that because Arsenal won, it looks like it's... But Arsenal got to go there on Saturday. And if they lose, you both lost to Aston Villa away. And actually, you know, beating Luton, it should be a given. Because Man City are going to Luton this weekend. And if Man City go and tonk them 5-6-0, not saying they will, but if they did, actually, you know, it's, it's that result against the result, isn't it? So actually, at the end of this weekend, mm. Arsenal could lose to Villa. Man City go and pump Luton. And actually, the, the league's changed again anyway. Yeah, absolutely, and that's. Uh, but I mean, what they've got also is Man City don't look like they're performing well at the minute, do they? Either you know they have they're on a they're on a bad run themselves. So obviously, getting results whilst you're not performing is a is a positive thing. But you'd like to think if you're going to win a title, you can't keep doing that. So whoever comes out of this slump, and I could say we're calling Arsenal a slump of form, still winning games. But whoever comes out of the sort of the slump of performances, you know, and starts turning it on, I think he's going to be one of the, he's going to be the favourite for the league because I do believe now that Man City are not as much of a shoo-in as as they have been previously. You know, we said it for a few weeks that I think they look dodgy at the back and with the results going, you know, Liverpool and Arsenal both winning, I think you can now say that they've come into the title race even more, which sounds such an obvious statement, but I think it all depends how Man City pick up, don't they? We know what they can do when they go on runs. It doesn't seem to be clicking for the minute. They don't really look an attacking threat. No, going back to the Spurs game, which, you know, rightly the pundits were talking about, you know, Man City could have been 6 and up at half-time to get a pick a number of the game. But actually, if you go back and look at the chances, 95% of them were Emerson Royale, who's not a centre-back, passing the ball. It wasn't great pressing even. You know, sometimes you can go, well, yeah, but they, they earn that by high press and, and, and squeezing him. And actually, Emerson Royale was just passing the ball to Man City. Uh, you know, pick a play. You know, Vicario in the start of the second half, rolled the ball out. So actually, Spurs were the, the creators of Man City's chances, actually. And that was the worrying thing for me from a Man City point of view. Is actually, it's not like they were cutting them open with love. Up the second goal, was brilliant, but beyond that, it seemed like it was Spurs gifting the mm. chances rather than Man City creating them. Yeah, exactly, and I think that again is the worrying thing about Man City is where previously they carved teams open at will, didn't they? Like they don't seem to be doing that. Teams seem to be sitting in, and with the exception of Doku, who's the only one who goes by players, they don't seem to have any guile in midfield to be able to create chances. You know, the missing De Bruyne, but. They don't have that person who you would have thought when they signed him, Jack Grealish would have been that person. He used to go, glide by players, you know, create space. Without Docker in this side, I think they do look pretty toothless. And that sounds a strange thing to say about the, you know, <laughs> the treble winners of the previous year. But they don't really look like the carving teams open like they have done in previous seasons. Is that not the same problem for Arsenal, though? Because have, have teams not worked out that if you, if you stop Saka and Martinelli, uh, actually, Arsenal become manageable. There's, there's still a good team, you know, as a Man City, mm. right? we're, not, we're not talking about teams that are bottom half of the table. We're still talking about world-class teams, but we're talking about teams that it feels like last season were just slicing and dicing teams at will. But actually, it looks like to me that teams have sort of doubled up on the wingers and actually that's, that's stopping the flow for Arsenal. Likewise, they're stopping the flow into Haaland, which is, is doing the same for, for, for Man City. No, definitely. And that's why I think you put those two teams in the same boat. Well, the difference with Liverpool is they have changed their style. It's still a similar style to what they've played, but they've changed personnel. They've changed their style of touch. And like you said, it's not like it's not been sussed out yet. It seems are still having to work out. Like, you know that Salah's going to be a threat, but then you've got other players, you know, Trent's moving into midfield, creating space. Whereas Man City have the same style they have done previous seasons. So do Arsenal. Like you said, I think teams have sort of just gone, identify their key strengths and they're nullifying them better. So, but so then that's interesting because that, that's the other sort of conversation for me is around 
Liverpool obviously uh, look like they're picking up pace, look like they're, they're going on a bit of a run. But actually, if you go back to the weekend, they beat Fulham, you know, which you would expect them to do. We all tipped Liverpool to win comfortably. But actually, they, need, they needed four world-class goals, four worldies to beat Fulham, who, don't get me wrong, have gone on to give Notts Forest a good shoe in midweek. But, you know, again, if, if I look at Liverpool, you, you can't keep winning games 4-3 and you can't keep winning games having to score four worldies, can you? So actually, have they solved all the problems themselves? Or, or do you think actually they might come a bit unstuck against a team that can suss them out? I think I think you can use this argument against a lot of teams within the Premier League. Like we've gone to the we've gone went down that path around defending. The, the, for me, the the, the defences aren't there around world football at the minute. There's no team that you would go and say like previously. If you just said who is the the team in world football that is guaranteed to give you a clean sheet, previously you'd probably gone to someone like Atletico Madrid. They concede a lot of goals now. You know, Simeone it was is known as this defensively minded coach. Mourinho was known as a defensive minded coach. The goals are flying in. Like I don't think. I mean, I'd say it to you. Who would you go to as a, as a team that could guarantee you a clean sheet? So I don't think there's one <laughs> that you can bank on. I mean, you do it from a fantasy point of view. What defenders can you bank on now to get you a clean sheet? Well, interestingly, Atletico Madrid uh, have changed the way they play this season, haven't they? So, so mm. he's consciously changed his system to be more attacking and more free throw, trying to get to play out from the back. And it's really fascinating to see that they're now struggling uh, to do exactly that. You know, in terms of in England, before the injuries, I would have said Newcastle were up there in terms of a, a team that defend, yeah, as a, as a team that defend yeah. is an 11, last, last press season. well. Yeah, last season, Newcastle were the team, weren't they, that you would have gone to and said, you know, defensively, they were getting a lot of clean sheets. You know, you had Trippier then, he was kicking in with the assists from a fantasy point of view. Newcastle defenders were the way to go. But this season, I mean, I beginning of the year, I said this, I had um, quite a few Newcastle defenders and they didn't have a clean sheet for about five or six weeks. No, they've, they've definitely struggled. I mean, across Europe, uh, into Milan are arguably... The leading light in terms of uh, goals conceded and actually goals scored. So Inter Milan have, have scored 33 in 14 games and only conceded seven. So they're conceding 0.5 goals a game, which you know is exactly what you want from the teams at the top of the table. You know, almost a two and a half to to, to none sort of ratio. That means that they're going to you know probably go and win that league relatively comfortably. Mm. Yeah, I just I just think it's interesting where you know previously you've had different styles of play. Like you said, everyone's gravitating towards a, a particular style, which is attacking free flowing football. But defensively now, it's very. I mean, even the big teams playing the small teams, they're they're still getting a goal, aren't they? Like I I was thinking Arsenal playing Luton. I was thinking there's no way they're scoring there. You know, they've got far too much quality just from an attacking sense to keep the ball for long periods of time and score three goals. Yeah, which has actually dented Arsenal's goal because they were actually looking quite good. Ironically, I was talking about Arsenal, but, but up until that, they'd only conceded 11 goals, but then they've now conceded almost a goal again. They're at 14 from 15, which is the same as Liverpool, who would have got the two best defences in the league. Uh, and again, I'll mm. be no surprise that they're sitting in number one and two in the league table, I guess. Mm. I, think it, I think it's interesting from the Man City point of view as well, is when you shelled out the amount they did for Gradio. Who's you know regarded as the one of the best young centre backs in the world? Some of the play they've got Diaz at the back, you know, John Stones, 
who's obviously moving into midfield, but you know, you can keep reeling off these defenders and they still concede goals. So it's got to be the system, hasn't it? It can't you've got the best defenders in the world. The system has got to be the fault here. And whether they whether you just go with the old Keegan method, we're going to score more than you. That's the way it looks at the minute around around the especially in the Premier League. It just looks like the teams are going out there to score more goals in the opposition rather than trying to shut them out. Yeah, completely. But, but I, I guess uh, let's not complain about you know too many goals. That feels like a silly thing to be complaining about. But I just think oh, it's, yeah. that... it's entertaining, isn't it? It's what we want. So. I just thought also it's probably a, a good time for us to reflect uh, on some stuff that we've sort of spoken about. Because again, who are we to talk about football, right? You know, there's loads of people out there giving opinions and ours is no better than anybody else's. But uh, I just like to kind of pay tribute to somebody actually a little bit in, in the sense that uh, not that it feels like only a couple of weeks ago we were saying, should he be sacked? Uh, and obviously the job that's being done at Bournemouth uh, in turning that club around, in terms of turning the performances around, in, in, in making them, looked for me like a real threat week in, week out. Just the job that's being done at Bournemouth, I think just needs to be kind of recognised personally. Yeah, I agree. Like so we, we had that conversation, didn't we? And I think we were both on the same page saying, I don't think he, he deserves to go yet. You know, he's not had time to stamp his, his style, his authority on that team, which, you know, you probably fast forward five or six weeks and he's, he looks like he's doing a great job. They're playing really um, good football. Actually, they're they're not conceding a lot of goals as well. That's that's an interesting. They they don't. You would have thought a team like Bournemouth would do, but then they're scoring the fair share and not conceding many. So, yeah, I think he's he's done a great job, and I think it does just highlight that you know if you can just keep having that bit of patience with, especially with new managers coming into the team, unless it's clearly obvious something is going seriously wrong. Having that patience more often than not, I feel it does it does pay dividends. Well, so talking of patience, obviously uh, the rumor is. The, the, the rumour is and the, the logic is is that if, if Notts Forest lose this weekend, uh, Steve Cooper uh, is going to be fired. Now, just before we touch on that, just what an amazing uh, collective attitude the Notts Forest fans showed on uh, Wednesday night, I think it was. It was Wednesday night when they were 4-0 down uh, and they just started chanting the manager's name. I can't think of another set of fans that would be doing that, by the way, at 4-0 down. Mm, I, I... I think it's a different situation, isn't it? Because he's obviously been there a long while. He obviously got them out of the, the Championship into the Premier League um, after a long, long time. So they obviously have you know really good rapport with him, great affection for him. They have got patience with him, but the question is, is it the right thing now? Has he ran his course? I think it's a bit different to the Bournemouth situation. He was a new manager, wasn't he? But yeah, great from the fans to be like that because you, see, you don't want anybody getting abused, do you, your manager, especially after the job that he's done. I think the question is there, though. Has he run his course? Can he turn this around? Because in all, I feel a bit sorry for him. He's lost the main forward, hasn't he? As well, um, he's lost Brennan Johnson in the in the summer window. So his squad does look, especially offensively, look depleted. But it's you've got to deal with that as a manager, haven't you? Absolutely. So if they lose against Wolves, which you know wouldn't be a let's be honest, wouldn't be a surprise. I think the job that Gary we spoke about him, Gary Neal did a phenomenal job. Wolves looked like a real. Uh, threat. It wouldn't surprise me if they lost. Would you be sacking Stevie Cooper? I personally, mm, I've, I've literally just flipped my mind now. I was going to say I personally wouldn't, but I feel with it's just the time. If, if regardless of the time of the year, no, I wouldn't. But when you bring it into account 
that if you were to sack him now, get somebody in, say, within a week's time, it gives them two-week period until the window opens. I think that it's all about opportunities. And if you, who, depending on who they bring in, there's rumours around Lopetegui. I think that's a, an upgrade, if I'm being honest. But also, if you give them a January window, and there, if there is cash there to spend, then possibly now is the time. If it was around, would I do it on a personal level? No, I wouldn't. I think he deserves more of a shout. And I think the page, he has, they should have more patience with him after what he's achieved there. But January's coming up and it makes owners twitchy, doesn't it? And very interesting to see what the owner does with that. Again, you know, what the Knott's Forest want from the season. For me, I still think that they'll have enough to be the, the fourth worst team in the Premier League and therefore stay up. Uh, and therefore actually, you know, why not stick with him? He's obviously got the buy-in from the fans, you know, obviously the players uh, with some injuries, as as we all have. You know, it, it seems like every club is missing at least one of their key players at the moment. Uh, maybe that's the problem. But but actually, when you look at the league table, the other thing that jumps out at me now is that Everton are already back out of the relegation zone. If you put their 10 points back on, they're above Chelsea in the league. Mm. So when you said um, the bottom... The bottom, it won't be one of the worst of the bottom four. I was thinking, where are you putting Chelsea in that? But Everton, they're, if they get their bad up, yeah. No, it's, it's a great point. Probably will. Yeah, they would be. Like that, that's actually yeah, picking no, my I think it's a great point. Um, we have, I mean, I we had this conversation, didn't we? And you said, oh, are Chelsea back? And they're just not. They're not back. They're so inconsistent. But they are, they have they they have the ability to go and beat Man City. But they have the ability to go and lose to Sheffield as well. They're so inconsistent, and that's why they're not. Then the, the argument about the back is never going to be here until you see a consistent run of form. Yeah, I mean, to, to be fair to Chelsea, they've had you know on paper at least a tough five game. You know, Spurs away, Man City at home, Newcastle away. Brighton at home, Man U away. So you could say that's, you know, five tough fixtures, but you, you, you can't touch them. In, in terms of, you know, if, if, you, if you like to have a little flutter, you can't touch them because ultimately you just don't know which one's turning up. They are so inconsistent. It's bonkers. Did you say you can't touch them? Sorry, I lost connection there. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't touch them, can you? If you're a betting man, and we, we've done it a couple of times, and if you touch them, more often than not, your bet goes down, doesn't it? So, yeah, for me, they're definitely one you stay away from on your bets. And so, you know, we, we, we was sort of juggling this around. We, we were very big on Sean Dyche being a great appointment, Everton, and it looked for a period of time like we got it wrong. But actually now, I think we're both breathing a sigh of relief where it looks like it's going well. And on the flip side of that, Certainly, I was very anti the Hodgson appointment at Crystal Palace, and it looked like we'd been proven wrong on that one. But actually, it looks like the walls are closing back in on Roy. The, the Crystal Palace fans are starting to turn on him and the team. He came out and said a couple of things at the week that's added to those flames. Do you think there's another manager that could be? And actually, if you've got a Lopetegui in the wings, it's whoever gets rid of the manager first because they want Lopetegui. That makes sense. You fire manager just to get him in. Mm. Uh, I don't think Lopetegui would be interested in going to Palace over Forest. I think Forest have far more funds and the owner's more ambitious than the Palace managers. I think the Palace managers are quite a steady 
owner. You know, he's never going to shell out loads of loads of a, a massive transfer budget. So I don't know whether Lopetegui would go there. But no, I, I agree. We we both thought Hodgson was a poor appointment. But then actually, on the face, when you looked at it, he's he's just a solid manager, isn't he? But when you then try to progress a team, that's a different story because he, when he comes in, you know, he needed to come in to save them from relegation. Great managers do that. Organises you as a team, as a club, knows exactly what he's doing. But trying to take a team forward and move them, whether it's a new playing style, young players trying to develop them, he's never been that manager, has he really? So, yeah, they definitely won't go down. They've still got far too much about them and the manager's too good. But I don't know whether trying to bring in someone like a Lopetegui, whether he'd succeed there. And talking of firing managers and managers on the move. Obviously, the first move was made. Sheffield United removed Heckenbottom and they've, they've done something that I, I can't help but feel totally uninspired by. Not that I didn't think Chris Wilder, you know, when he first was was doing his great pieces with Sheffield and the, the out, you know, attacking centre-backs, all of that kind of great stuff they, they were doing. But it just feels like a really unimaginative, unimaginative appointment to go back to him for me. Yeah, I, I found it a bit strange. So I really like Chris Wilder. And I think, you know, you know, when he was with Sheffield, he looked a really progressive manager with good ideas coming forward. So I actually do think he's got a lot of ability about him. But for Sheffield to go back to him, it's not like he's going to have a new bunch of players. They're all, you know, quite a few of the players are still there from when he was around. Um, so from that side of things, you could say that's a good move. They know his style of play, uh, but he still went took them down, didn't he? So, yeah, it's a bit of a meh, isn't it? Appointment really, it's not exciting. But who, on the face of that, would look at Sheffield and, and say, I, "I'll take that job on"? Because it's almost guaranteeing a relegation on your CV, isn't it? So he might have just been the best of a bad bunch of candidates that were available. But then what? Yeah, yeah. But, but, then, but then, then why? Yeah, why? Why sack him? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a bit like you know, oh, yeah. There's no new phones out. I'm just going to give you my iPhone 15 and take an iPhone 13 just because there's no new. Like, like sometimes you, you know, only upgraded. You know, he's mm. not going to keep Sheffield in the league. No. So why not wait till the summer when everybody's available? Mm. Whether or not that they've got him in thinking, well, we'll go down, but we know that Chris Wilder has obviously got us promoted before. If we can implement this old style of play, which is, you know, we all, you know, we both said we thought that was quite a good style of play. It was quite imaginative. Whether or not they're thinking, give him. The, the six months here to be able to implement his style of play again we'll give him a transfer budget for the championship and we come back up that's the only thing that I can look at it because the rest of it yeah that's it it's not harsh sacking because they've got five points in 15 games but if you're not going to bring somebody in who's a massive improvement it is a bit of a pointless sacking yeah I having said that I think there will be an uptick in their results slightly certainly for a short period of time just because obviously of the feel good factor now, and another thing that, that we haven't spoke about too much this season. We did a lot last year, but not so much this year. And, and I want to give them a shout out because actually they've become almost the entertainers, Fulham, uh, without any kind of sort of really, if we're being honest, sort of recognised international attacking players. You know, in, in the last three games, they've gone and beat Wolves 3-2, you know, which was a great game, albeit there's maybe some controversy in there, but nonetheless, you know, right side of it fell their way. Then, of course, they, they ran Liverpool close with a 4-3 and then they go and pump Notts Forest 5-0. Are they the new Premier League entertainers? And and what has he done? Do you think to to turn around those goals for? Because Fulham looked like a team that was struggling to score goals, and now they're scoring for fun. Yeah, I, I'm. I was a bit. I was really unsure on them a few weeks ago. I was looking at them and going, if it wasn't for those three promoted clubs, you look poor and you look like you could go down. 
But like I said, their form's really picked up. I mean, the only thing that I could put it down to is they've got Jimenez back in the goals. And he's, I don't even, what was it, something like 12 months he went without scoring, something ridiculous, which obviously plays on your mind and your confidence. But it looks like he's got his goal and he's now leading that line really well. So I think that's a huge bonus for them because where they've been missing Mitrovic, Jimenez for the first part of the season wasn't looking like a, a, a good replacement. But in the past few games, he's led that line really well and has got back in the goal. So if you can get him, you know, improving on his form, then I think that's possibly one of the reasons why you've started to see them have an upturn of form goals-wise. Absolutely delighted from as well, by the way, of course. You know, what what a great, you know, great So I'd love for him to go on a run of goals based on obviously the journey he's had coming back to football off, off that horrific injury. Uh, you know, and obviously if he can lead the line for Fulham and, and they can get back to creating chances from like they did for Mitrovic, because again, he may not be quite the same level, but he certainly feels like a similar type of player, great in the air, bit mm. of a poacher. You know, that that feels to me like they might have stumbled across, if you like, the solution to their problem. Yeah, and I think it's interesting how much money they got for Mitrovic and how much they paid for him. And possibly a decent swap, isn't it? Banked a big chunk of cash and got somebody in really, really cheap who's a very similar type of player. Granted, he's a bit older. And 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 as the new feature that we've, we've just made up, by the way, this is with that, but Chelsea is the yardstick. Uh, <laughs> full of only a point by Chelsea uh, is the new feature will they finish above Chelsea is that the question Ch- Chelsea is the yardstick if you, if you, you know, how, how close are you to Chelsea uh, and by the way West Ham are now five points ahead of Chelsea Fulham are only one point behind them uh, look, yeah I think it's great to see Fulham back in the goals and, and again you know, if, if they can keep scoring goals and entertaining again mid table you know, Fulham fans probably want Two or three things, right? They want a bit of a cup run, mid-table security and entertaining football, loads of goals. And, and that will be them done, right? Because they're obviously very high prices down there. Uh, and actually for them, the entertainment mm. is probably worth more. They're, not, they're never going to win the league, mm. let's be honest. Yeah. They, want the, they want the Michael Jackson statue back as well. Who doesn't? <laughs> well, I think we should all... I think every stadium should have a Michael Jackson. No, that's probably not true, is it? Uh, let's move on before we get into trouble. Okay, we're going to do something different. So what we normally do... At the end, if we, run, if we haven't run out of time, which we, we quite often do, is we, we do a £5 challenge. Uh, or as, as I've renamed it, give a £5 to a stranger, let them have something to eat because it's better than giving it to the bookies. Uh, but uh, I think this leads us nicely onto this weekend's fixtures because it's a really unusual batch of fixtures in the sense that there's some really big odds, there's some really big kind of numbers out there, but there's also some really small numbers. And I've come up with a fourfold that my £5... If it comes in, uh, we'll return over £1,400. Okay, so you're ready for this, Fran. Go on. So team one, Burnley to beat Brighton to open attacking footballing teams with players missing. Five to one, Burnley are. I think the odds are too good to turn down. I'll have, I'll have that in my, in my acca, Fran. This is the one that, that might surprise some people. Well, <laughs> they're all going to surprise some people. Crazy man. Bournemouth to beat Man U. 19 to 4. I think, again, giving Bournemouth a bit of a, a big up earlier on, I think uh, Bournemouth could, could cause an upset in Man U. I was tempted to go for the draw, but I've gone for the Bournemouth win. Okay. We just, we just spoke about them. Uh, I think that Sheffield United this weekend and... My rationale behind this is obviously Brian and Buemo's out now as well. So okay. Brentford are missing, uh, you know, some big, big players. I've returned Brian and Buemo. I think, and again, Chris Wilder at home, you know, bit of a comeback, etc. 16 to 5, Sheffield United are to beat Brighton. Uh, Brentford, sorry, Brian. 
but even Brighton can't lose two games in the weekend. Uh, and then the absolute home banker is Wolves to beat Notts Forest at 17 to 20. Uh, so I'm going to get 1,400 quid back from there. There you go. I'll throw it at you, Fran. Pick it to pieces. What have I got wrong? What have I got right? Well, if I tell you my ACA, <laughs> I'd give you some indication on yours. So I've gone. So you've gone Brighton, Everton to beat Chelsea. Brentford and not Forest. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I've gone Everton to beat Chelsea. I've got Wolves. I agree with you. I think Wolves will beat Forest. I've gone for Brentford to beat Sheffield, but I've also gone West Ham to beat Fulham. And that's 28 to 1. So, but again, massive, massive numbers for not a lot of games. So if you can mm-hmm. tiptoe through this weekend, uh, which is not easy, I don't think, because again, you know, you look at uh, some of those games that there's some sort of like Chelsea, Everton, like you said there, you know, I definitely couldn't back on Chelsea. I could easily see Everton now tail between their legs, you know, come off the back of a great 3-0 victory against Newcastle, beating Chelsea. That would not surprise me in the slightest. Um, mm. I think I think a tip for the, for the betting on recent weeks is, and the pre, not the previous game, but the one before that, there was two of the games out of the 10 that wasn't both teams to score. I think there was two of the games which wasn't over two and a half goals. So I think if, you, if you're going for more safer options, you're better off going for both teams to score or over a certain amount of goals. Because like we mentioned at the beginning, like the, the average of the goals is just so high at the minute that you can literally like get huge amount, huge bets in by playing it safer with some stats. So I think as a tip there is go with goals at the minute. Goals are where are being fired in across the every game week. So if you, I mean, if you, as an example, if you think Bournemouth are going to beat Man U and you do over two and a half, that absolutely, I mean, you don't need to do that with your bet. You've got big enough funds as it is. But if you're only going with two teams, you may add in over two and a half goals on both of those games. You'd still get a fairly chunky bet. Yeah, I, I don't need any bigger than the nearly 300 <laughs> to one I've got on mine, if that's okay. <laughs> I was, I was going to chuck in, and I'll tell you why. Again, thinking tactically, I was going to chuck in Luton, right? Who were seven to one on the sky freeze? No, well, but as in to then cash out if they if they could score first. Mm-hmm. Well, Sky better do anything that's called Aka freeze at the minute. Yeah. So if you have five teams and Luton go in the lead, you can click freeze, and it means yeah. that that bet is classed as a winner or that one leg is. Which I've thought about that. If you, and you, I mean, Spurs are the ones at the minute, aren't they? they? Seem to be scoring first, but then losing. So he could have Spurs. Freeze them as they as they score first, and you've got that as a winner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but after Spurs have scored, go and chuck all your money on whoever they're playing to win the game, because <laughs> no, no, I suppose they're probably getting clever to that. But so let's let's do a bit of a deep dive on some of those games because there is some interesting stuff. And for me, uh, this may or may not surprise people, but for me, the biggest game of the weekend, uh, the Unai Emery derby, Aston Villa versus Arsenal. Two of the best teams uh, in the land come together on Saturday Night Football, which should be a great occasion at Villa Park. Obviously, the, the, the Villa fans are, are absolutely buzzing. I was listening to a certain radio station the other day on the way home, and you know it was just full of Villa fans after the Man City game, getting very, very excited about how they're going to win the lot. How do you see this one going? Do you think Aston Villa... Well, you must think, because they've just done Man City, but do, do you think Aston Villa can carry on this run and go and beat Arsenal? Yeah, I thought they'd get in the top four at the beginning of the year. And then obviously they started off pretty slowly, but they do just seem to be gelling now, don't they? Um, they're obviously at home to Arsenal and their home form is phenomenal. Like I think it's something like 10 out of 10 wins, something like that. So it is absolutely ridiculous. Um, 
they can definitely beat Arsenal at home. Arsenal, like I've mentioned before, seem to be a bit hit and miss, although they seem to be growing that results. I think this is a great game. I think there's real intrigue about it. Two different styles. Um, you know, one really free-flowing and Villa are very previously were very good defensively, seem to be conceding a few more. But yeah, I mean, the thing for me is Ollie Watkins is potentially out, isn't he? Which is going to be a huge blow to the way they play if he is out. So that's something to note. If he plays and he's, and he's fit, I think it's going to be a great game. Definitely game of the weekend. Do, do you think, again, we've spoken a lot about injuries recently. Do you think it's as simple as if Ollie Watkins doesn't play Arsenal win and if he does Aston Villa win? I, I think that's, you know, that's true, to be honest, because, I mean, who's backing up Ollie Watkins? It's Danny Ings, isn't it? Well, and they've got uh, Duran, 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 not Duran, Duran. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> Old Rio, um, yeah, no, um, yeah. So you've got either a young kid who's coming through, or you've got an aging Danny Ings who isn't the same player that he was, you know, five years ago. It's not it, literally just not on the same level. So yeah, I think you could say that that is true. You know, without Ollie Watkins, they're going to be they have their chances hampered hugely. But again, you know, when we talk about uh, managers or manager of the year. Uh, when we talk about people that have done a phenomenal job, and by the way, looking on uh, special websites, uh, I don't mean those sort of special websites, Frank, by the way. I mean injury websites. Dirty uh, Ollie, Ollie, Ollie Watkins looks like he's uh, he's good to go. Uh, good. But what, I mean, what a job Unai Emery is doing and has done to turn what was a, re- you know, team, let's not forget, you know, in a relegation battle when he came in, you know, 12 months ago, almost to the day, uh, into an absolute force of nature, and they're playing some great football. They're scoring goals from all over the place, and, and giving teams that they shouldn't be beating. You know, if you think about kind of where they were, a real good going over. Mm. So I'm not taking away from the job that he's done. He has done a phenomenal job. However, he has had a very big transfer kitty also to revitalise that squad. So I mean, when you look at you know they're in a relegation battle. If you look at teams now like Everton. I would imagine if you gave Sean Dyche the kitty that he's had, that he'd be able to do not a similar job because I'm not the job that he's done is phenomenal. But they, Everton would be nowhere near a relegation battle with or without their, their ten points. And there's other clubs around there as well. So I do feel that that takes a bit of the shine off it. But he has done a phenomenal job. He's a great manager. When he came in, we said it was a great appointment. So I'm not taking anything away from the job that he's done. But I think you have to notice as well he has had a big kitty to be able to make a huge changes from his squad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Musa Diaby was was a winger from Leverkusen that everybody you know knew about. So, not a surprise. Paul Torres was a defender that you know the rest of the world uh, had sort of had a sniff around and had been linked with clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona, etc. Uh, but other than that, they haven't really spent much money this summer in terms of outgoes. You know, ninety million quid. They obviously got Tielemans on a free. No doubt, he's on massive wages. Uh, they've got Longley in on a loan. They've got Zaniola in on a loan. But, but th- those guys aren't really breaking the first team. So in terms of the actual first team this summer, they've only really influenced it with two players. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean that's this summer. But in previous summers, they had another centre-half. It was the lad from Sevilla came in on, on big wages, didn't he, as well? So they have spent money. But yeah, I'd say I'm not using that as an excuse to say you know, that he's not doing a good job. He's done a phenomenal job. And he's also turned players that were there, as in your Tyro Mings, um, another players with their John McGinn he's taken them to another level and that is the sign of a good manager yeah I, I would actually start, you know I'm just sort of going back through some of their signs I, I actually think uh, what they've done quite well is that that free 
transfer market. You know, the, when players expire, obviously uh, Tielemans, but actually Kamara was another one they got last year from Marseille on a free transfer. Yeah. Good sign. Because actually, if you look at the players they've spent money on, actually, you would argue it's a little bit hit and miss. Actually, you look at Diego Carlos that you just referred, he's back now, but 31 million mm. barely played. They spent 20 million on Coutinho, who's now out on loan in Saudi Arabia. John Duran, who we've just been trying to talk about, you know, 16 million quid. Then Donker, 15 million quid. You know, these players aren't exactly, you know, sort of first team regulars. So actually, what it looks like he's done is actually get the most out of what he had with a couple of little flavours. Uh, to really get the most out of that squad. And and, and mm. do you think that they can now? You know, are, are you back on the Aston Villa will be in the top four at the end of the season? I definitely think they're the, they're the threat to it, aren't they? Um, there's an argument to say they're in a title race. But, okay, so so if they win on Saturday, mm. there'll be there'll, there'll be a point behind Arsenal. Uh, are they in the title race? Yeah, I think they are. I, well, if you ask me if they're going to win it, I'd say no, but... At that stage, you have to say they're in a title race. Whether or not that they pressure, they crumble under that pressure, I don't know. But yeah, I, I can't see how you can say that they're not in a title race. How you know, like you said, if they win, or even if they don't win, if they get a draw, they're three. Is it three points behind? Four points behind what they currently are now. So, yeah, four points behind. So if they draw, they're still four points behind the league leaders. Yeah, I still think even regardless of the result, they're in a title race at this minute in time. Yeah. They've gone away to Spurs and won. Uh, they've beat Man City at home. Uh, you know, so against the big teams, they're picking up results. And as we've said many times, you know, if you beat the teams around you, at whatever end of the table you are, you've got a real chance of finishing above them, right? Mm-hmm. So we move on to uh, Sunday's fixtures where there is... Uh, some really interesting ones, but but the one that, that really stands out for me is Erling Haaland takes his first trip to the Kenny. Uh, obviously, Luton have, have really made it difficult for teams, as we've already spoken about, in terms of visiting the, the Kenilworth Road. Man City are in their, their worst run of form in, I think, something crazy like eight years or something bonkers like that. You know, is there any chance that Luton could actually win this game of football? How much analysis would you like me to give this, or does no suffice? I'd like some analysis, please. <laughs> no, uh, no, I can't see how 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 they beat Man City. Um, you know, I would have said this about Arsenal as well when it went very close, but I can't see how they're going to have any, enough firepower to beat Man City. Um, you know, just when you look at Man City's bench, just by rotating it, they, their squad is still unbelievable. I'd be gobsmacked if they even. Well, I was going to say if they even scored. There's <laughs> the way the goals are going, and there's a the big chance they might score. If they, I'd be gobsmacked if they got two goals. And I can't see them not conceding two goals. Is there so so you know football uh, football pitch you know is a similar size wherever you go, but it's not the same size wherever you go. And there's there's variations. Obviously, Luton's is one of the smallest, and actually it seems to be giving them the opportunity to close gaps that a big pitch, you know, they talk about the big pitch at Wembley. It's it's, it's more difficult to play at Wembley because it's so big and there's big open spaces. Uh, do you think that actually if Luton can just block those holes, you know, that Man City come on a bad run of form, they might be thinking, oh, this is an easy game. You know, we don't need to, you're not giving Luton any chance at all. You, you know, that even if I said, you know, set pieces, you know, defensive unit, two banks of four, maybe a four and a five, play on the break. You don't see any way that they can, they can keep Man City out. 
Well, from what I saw with the Arsenal game, set pieces to them meant a lot. You know, they're, they're quite a big side. But when just when I look at Man City side, Man City are a big side. You, know, you look at you've got Gavardial at left back. Um, you know, Diaz, you've got even Rodri and Stones. Big, you know, I think Stones is back as well. They're all big players, and they've built their team around you know big physicality. So I don't think they'll have as many weaknesses on the set pieces what Arsenal did. So I think they'll nullify that threat. Um, what you know, I, I, where we said that Luton's style blends to the Premier League, I think this could blend to Man City's style. They do press quite, you know, they're a very fit side and they press quickly, and that could just open up gaps, I think, for Man City to play through. Whereas other teams have been sitting really deep, and it's quite hard for them to break down. I don't know whether Luton might just play into the hands if they, if they if they press quite high, which they have been doing. You know, against Arsenal, they were pressing the fullbacks up the pitch. I don't know whether that could work against Man City. So I'd be interested to see if they do adapt that style. You know, what I thought was interesting about the Arsenal-Luton uh, game was just how basic Luton's first goal was. From a set, you know, when we talk about set pieces now, we talk about, you know, they've got set piece specialists that come in and they've got, you know, a playbook and, you know, like it's become like the NFL, right? You know, we can go near post, back post, they come around the outside of the box. You know, there was a great piece from the Notts County manager uh, when asked, I don't know if you've seen this, but when asked about why Notts County don't score from corners... He went on a three-minute, four-minute rant explaining how they score from loads of corners. It's just not pumped into the box. We play it short and we build up. It started from a corner and we we score. But that Luton first mm. goal was just a simple edge of the six-yard box. No one picked the man up. No one attacked the ball, headed from six yards out. I couldn't believe how how basic and crude that was for a Premier League team to concede. It was, yeah, it was basic and crude. But what they'd also done was pretty clever. They'd have identified that, you know, Raya is a bit of a flapper in goal, isn't he? And he's not got the most confidence in the world at the minute. And their basic plan was stick it on the keeper. And <laughs> so actually, you could say it's basic, but it is pretty clever as well. You know, he's, he's not he's short of confidence. He doesn't look good coming for crosses at all. Stick it on him. So I thought it was a really intelligent move as well. Yeah, and we haven't touched on the, the the Arsenal goalkeeper debate or debacle or whichever one you want to want to call it. But uh, Ramsdale, yeah, I think, every day of the week. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Arteta has created a problem here for himself that he didn't need to create. In my view, massively. Yeah, I I can't see how. Well, he definitely won't go back to Ramsdale because it admits he's wrong, but he's definitely created a problem that wasn't there. Yeah, I, I th- the, the signing was strange if you're going to keep both of them. But again, you know, I, th- I think this January transfer window is going to be uh, one of the more interesting January transfers, transfer windows for about 10. Because recently, the January transfer has become a bit of a you know damp squid, like no one's really moving. But with the injuries, with that Saudi league, you know, with, with players not playing, with there being the Euros, I think this January could be a real time for movement that doesn't normally happen. Yeah, especially when, you, you know, we were talking about Aston Villa is... If so, let's say they beat Arsenal and they end up being a point off on the first of January off the leaders. What an opportunity to go and strengthen your team, and they're the sort of ambitious owners that will do. So, yeah, I think a few teams as well, depending on positions in the league, will dip into their transfer kits. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Obviously, and we'll you know we'll, we'll start to talk about transfers as we get closer to that that window. Uh, we, we've got you know, the. On Sunday, we've touched on it a couple of times. The game that I think actually is is going to be really intriguing for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, not just because they've become our new barometer of where you are in the league, but but Everton uh, host Chelsea. Uh, and again, it, it, I know where Everton are. You might look at it and think this is a must-win game. But actually, 
you know, to already be back out of the relegation zone with all the touch on that is a phenomenal achievement. And actually, from from what we felt like four or five weeks ago, a team that you would have said had no chance of beating Chelsea, actually now, arguably a favourites. And and does that say more about the job that the Everton boys are doing, or, or a job about what the Chelsea boys aren't doing? I think it's both. I think it's both sides of things. I think Dyche is doing a great job, but he's also transformed their attacking output. Now, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's had a period of time where he's been fit, which has obviously helped. But Jack Harrison coming in has given them a different dimension on the Good wing, plan. hasn't it? Um, yeah, and even even the midfielders have coming in have given them some attacking output as well. Um, but like you said, it, I think it highlights the job that Pochettino's doing there at the minute, or not even the job that he's doing, just the poison chalice of the job that it is. Yeah, I, th- I think Dwight McNeil needs a shout as well. Obviously, you know, a player that they spent money on not long ago, you know, big money in reality. Uh, but actually, you know, he's he's almost filled the shoes of Anthony Gordon unintentionally. Mm. Uh, and by the way, I, I thought the over-announcement of Anthony Gordon going back to his own team yesterday was ridiculous. Everywhere I went, Anthony Gordon's going back to, Like, players go back to their club or their old clubs all the time. Like, it was so ridiculously overblown and overstated. It's just a player going back to play against his old team because he's been sold. It seems to be a scouse thing, doesn't it? They're very passionate about their uh, their area, which is great. But it seems to be if you leave the area, you're dead, you're dead to the area. So I think it's it's more around that that sort of scouse thing. And by the way, I don't know if you, have you seen the pictures of the new Everton Stadium. It, look, it looks really good. It looks like it's coming on. It looks like it's not far from being finished. Well, they better open, finish it, and pay the debts because if they get if they get any more points deductions, they're not going to be able to afford it. I, I think at the moment, I think genuinely they they could possibly have another ten points deduction and still start this season. Oh, they go. They're absolutely fine. There's no doubt they're going down. Uh, yeah, I, I think yeah. Again, I, I'm so happy for Everton fans. I'm so happy for Sean Dyche. You know, playing some good football, scoring some goals, uh, and actually to flip that coin for Chelsea. I'm going to put my neck out on the line here and say that they're not far away from a turnaround, but it's not the reason why. I think Nkunku's nearly back in the team. And I think he has been a massive miss for them. And I think when he comes back, I think you might see a different Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, what concerns me is just the goals they concede. They're conceding goals at a rate of not. So even just adding an attack obviously should help because the ball will be at the other end of the pitch and they might keep it better, put away more chances. But... They're conceding so many goals, and I mean, go back to goalkeepers. The goalkeeper concerns me. He's not. He's not of a level to be a top. You know, their aspirations are top four. He is nowhere near that level. Completely agree. Uh, yeah, completely. But again, you know, being honest with you, how Leno is going under the radar at Fulham, you know, and and people aren't having it. You know, for me, that was. I know he fell out with Arteta because I know someone that knows someone. Uh, and that, that was the rationale behind it. But for me, I don't, I don't think Arsenal have replaced him with an improvement. And for me, if I was Chelsea, I'd, I'd be looking at some of those goalkeepers, you know, in and around, you know, sort of those areas. And for me, Leno is one that I'd be all over personally. I think I think uh, when you look at some of the recent recruits of um, of goalkeepers, not just in the Premier League, you know, down in the Championship as well, where they've come from abroad, people have been picking up good goalies. So the best example is Vicario. He's come from abroad. But, you know, James Madison was on record the other day of saying, I had to YouTube and I never heard of him. He's class. He's absolutely class. And I'm looking down the, 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 um, in the championship, there's teams that have signed goalies from abroad for a few million quid and they could be going for 15, 20 million in the future. So I don't think you need to look that far for goalies, really. If you just do a bit of scouting, there is some very good goalies out there. There's a very good goalie sat at home doing nothing in David De Gea who still not, can't get a job. Mm. 
you know, I, I find it fascinating how we've moved towards goalkeepers must be able to play out from the back, but actually you've got, you know, one of the world's best shot stoppers. Again, I understand salaries and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if De Gea goes to Newcastle because obviously he's the closest fit to Nick Pope to me in terms of goalkeeping style out mm. there. And, and I, that, that feels to me like a logical fit, personally. Uh, I think it, okay, I so think that would be interesting. I, was, uh, I think that would be interesting if De Gea did go there, just based on, are they going to spend that money to get in a goalkeeper who quite clearly is going to be a backup to, to Pope when he's back fit? Or are they going to save that money to invest elsewhere? Which is interesting because obviously they're cash rich, aren't they? But there has to be a point that they have to cut their cloth accordingly. Yeah, it, it might depend on where they are in the league. It might depend on getting them in on a six-month loan deal. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a long-term contract. It could just be to the end of the season because uh, he would want the game time, the exposure to show people what he can still do. So I think it could be a, an agreement that, that suits both parties. And actually, you know, a nice short-term agreement on a sensible wage, 100K. Again, listen to me for around 100K here, like it doesn't cap, you know what I'm saying? He was on 360-odd at Man U. Uh, 100K a week, you know, champion, if, they, if they qualify out of that champion group, which they still could, you know, maybe he might be the difference between them getting through a round, you know, because again, it's knockout football from February in the Champions League. And, you know, do you want to be going in that with Dubravka when you've got David De Gea sat at home doing nothing? Yeah, it makes complete sense, doesn't it? I, think, I definitely think there'll be a target in De Gea. So let's let's do. Uh, we should come up with like a jazzy name for this, by the way. France predictions doesn't really feel like jazzy enough. So, so if anybody's got any ideas of what we can call this, uh, feel free to send them in. But but we'll, we'll, for today and today only, we'll call it France predictions. Uh, we're going to start obviously at Selhurst Park. Park Selhurst Park at the twelve thirty kickoff. Palace play Liverpool. Uh, I think we've both probably got the same score on this one, but far away. Palace nil, Liverpool four. Did you say it? I've, I've missed you. I've, you cut out there, mate. Sorry. Sorry, I've gone Palace nil, Liverpool four. Oh. Okay, I've gone three one to Liverpool. I think uh, Palace will squeeze a goal in there somewhere. Brighton, but we know that Burnley are winning because I've said it already. So you don't need to. I'm just Brighton play Burnley. Who have you got? Got Brighton two, Burnley one. So I've got exact opposite of that. Obviously, we know it's Brighton, so both teams mm. will score. That's a given. That's, you know, if you mm-hmm. want some free money, you can just do that. Uh, but I'm going 2-1 Burnley. Man, you are losing at Hunter to Bournemouth. Uh, what, what are you going for here? I've gone for Man U 2, Bournemouth 1. So I've gone again for the exact opposite. Uh, I've gone for Bournemouth 2, Man U 1. Uh, Chef United uh, host Brentford. Where are you going with this one? Chef U nil. Brentford two. Oh, you're a crazy man. It's going to be two one Sheffield. Come on, uh, no one, no, no Tony uh, Sheffield with that that great home support. She- Sheffield United fans are fantastic, by the way. Mm. Uh, Wolves again. I've, I've, I feel like I've spoiled this section now. Actually, I've given you the results already. But anyway, Wolves versus Notts Forest. What have you got? Gone one nil Wolves. Okay, I think uh, that's probably about right. But I'm going to go two nil Wolves. Uh, I think it will be a low-scoring game, but I think Wolves will get a couple of goals there. We, we then come to the game that I think, I don't know how you pick this, is a th- co- toss of a coin. Villa host Arsenal at Villa Park, 5.30 Saturday nights, And you've gone for a... Two-all draw. On the fence, Fran, on the fence. Okay, I'm have, going. I have just changed, I've literally just changed it. I did have Arsenal 2-1, but I talked myself out 2-all. I'm going 3-2 Villa. 
Really too good. That home form is going to see him through. It's going to be a Saturday night classic. Uh, if you remember, I think it was last year's game where Arsenal uh, were struggling big time and had to score a couple of last minute or certainly late late goals uh, to win the game. It was absolute classic last season. It was the early kickoff on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, this year, it's going to be reversal and Villa are going to come home in the good evening uh, derby. Sunday, we spoke about a lot. Everton host Chelsea. Everton 2, Chelsea 1. I will go with that too. I think, yeah, no, I'll go 3-1 Everton. 3-1 Everton. Let's go for it. They're, 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 they're free-flowing, attack-minded football now from Everton. 3-1. Uh, Fulham host West Ham in a London derby. We know that you've gone for a West Ham win, but what's your score? Uh, Fulham nil, West Ham 2. I think this is going to be one all. I see this as being a draw. Uh, I think it could be quite a dull affair, actually. I think two teams could cancel each other out, so I think that could be a one-all draw. Uh, Luton get to host uh, Erling Haaland in the Man City Globetrotters at Kenilworth Road. Uh, I, you, I'd, I'd love, I'd love, I might have a look and wonder how much those tickets are going for online and sort of second hand on the retailers. Uh, Luton host Man City, what you got? Luton nil, Man City four. One three. One three. I think I think Luton might might cause a scare and go ahead. But again, I think Man City win the game comfortably. And then we've got the uh the injury derby, the teams that seem to happen. You know, we're, we're looking at a reserve fixture at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with news that, that Hyong Min's son uh, possibly got an injury last night as well. Uh obviously Nick Pope recently spoke about Spurs host Newcastle, which could have should have been an absolute classic, missing loads of players, but what do you see happening here? Spurs one, Newcastle two. Let me guess, Spurs are going to score first? Possibly, very possibly. <laughs> but now Son's out. Mm, I didn't know that. I was worrying, right, isn't no, it? No, no, not that he's out. Not that he's out. Don't, don't, don't hold me to that. But he, he picked up a knock. He came off, if you remember, last night. Mm. Apparently, he's okay. But, you know, again, a bit of a knock in the back. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he'll probably start, but he, he may not be at full flow. Mm. Uh, but so you've gone one, two. That would, that would have only changed your... You've only gone bigger Newcastle anyway, right? No. What, without a sign, you think Spurs have got a better no. chance of winning? No, you, you were saying that they might score first, but if he's not, he's normally the, the one who gets in behind with his pace, isn't he? Which I don't know if they would score first. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, it's the, I don't know if they're going to win regardless, whether he's there or not. Yeah, I, 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 yeah again, as Spurs are, uh, yeah finding new ways to lose games of football week in, week out, uh, which I'm sure uh, all of my Spurs friends are really happy about. But uh, Newcastle are as almost as ravaged, but I, I do think that even though they got a good shoeing yesterday against Everton, I do think Newcastle will have enough in those big open spaces that Spurs leave. But I'm going with slightly more exciting than you. I'm going to go 2-3. I'm going to go Spurs 2, Newcastle 3. Uh, and obviously, we've already given you our... Uh, hot tips for the weekend uh, and if you are uh, placing any money on football firstly uh, be sensible secondly don't expect anything off the back of it because it's nuts uh, and thirdly don't listen to us because we know nothing uh, Fran as always mate I really really enjoyed that uh, obviously a bit of a different week this week obviously with the two game weeks uh, and loads of different topics to go over but obviously uh, we're trying to get people to to find us and so where can they find us 
So we're on uh, Apple Podcasts and we're also on Spotify. If you just search for The Atmosphere is Electric um, on social media, we're on Twitter. Again, just search for The Atmosphere is Electric. Send us a DM, reply to any of our tweets. And if you wouldn't mind, um, whether that is liking, retweeting uh, on, on Twitter or X, or if you can rate the podcast five stars, that would be really appreciated. It helps us grow our audience and get to see it out to other people. And only do that if you if you believe it. Don't do it if you don't believe it, of course. And uh, yeah, feel free to throw in uh, any questions, topics, uh, conversations. And of course, feel free to name uh, the, the prediction section slightly better than Fran's predictions, which was particularly unimaginative and, and, and not particularly uh, marketing savvy. So uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. But as always, Fran, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed that. I look forward to speaking to you next week.